Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activist empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a revolutionary. It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent family, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. Transforming truth truth to power. One broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham.
those were some really funny times. My mother was very smart, uh, very wise, um, and she always knew how to get to the bottom line of things. So uh, I, I missed the three, maybe sometimes four phone calls a day. I missed uh, watching TV with her long distance. I would call, she would be watching, I would watch what she's watching, and we could talk about it because she lived alone. Um, And she was 85 years old and very independent up until the months preceding her death. So I didn't realize what a vacuum I had had in my life. And I happened to be watching a movie a couple of weeks ago. And the movie was about the grandparents who the daughter didn't really think they were very real good parents came to stay with the kids uh for a week while she and her husband went away and it was the funniest movie ever there was i was in here howling and i heard myself laughing and i realized that it was almost 18 months since I really laughed. I mean, one of those out-of-the-belly, no-control kind of laughter. And so I want to remind you tonight to listen for your laughter because it really renewed that experience, laughing in that movie. I can't I can't even tell you who the people were. Oh, I do know Bette Miller was in it. I, I, I don't often remember people's actors and actresses' names, but Bette Midler and um, Jimmy Crystal or Crystal Man. And, 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 and that movie really assisted me in moving to another level, and I know that my mother is very pleased about it because my spirit was uh, dragging without energy. So... We have to, I want you to remember to listen to your spirit. And I had pretty much lost that that notion of always listening to my spirit. Here at our Common Ground tonight, and, um, you know, we're, we've put in an, an, a new feature uh, to, to kind of uh, lift us up at the beginning of the program uh, because, you know, most of you all work on, you know what you work on. You work on CP time, uh, CP time, color people's time. And um, that's not always good for a two-hour radio program. But tonight we're back to the gravity. And um, I know it's Saturday night and the weekend, But we want you to take some time to think about this subject. We're going to be talking about sexual assault and mental health in the military and how invisible black veteran pain seems to be. My guest tonight is Dr. Kathy Santos. She's the chairwoman of the Pennsylvania Department of Disabled American Veterans, and she is also the founder of the National Alliance of Women Veterans, and we'll be posting more information about how you can get to know her better. 
She's a newly appointed chairwoman to Pennsylvania Department of the Disabled American Veterans, and she established the National Alliance of Women Veterans in 2003. She's an advocate and strategist for women who have served in the armed services. Her primary priorities and focus for the past 20 years has been on the issue of military sexual assault research and experimentation of women veterans, advocating specific gender-focused policy and legislation relating to women veterans. Dr. Kathy Bennett Santos holds a doctorate in pastoral counseling, a Master of Science, MS in Economic Development, and a bachelor's degree in computer science, and she has received many awards and honors for her work over these many years, including the uh, President Obama's Point of Light Community Service Award. I want to tell you a little about her story, and then we're going to to take a listen to um, some stuff that you need to know about this problem. And then we're going to talk about more about her story with her. Six years ago, based on her own, her own Army experiences, uh, Dr. Santos started the National Alliance of Women Veterans to highlight some important issues and to protect the interest of women veterans. And one of the things that she says is that we're talking about unwelcome sexual advances that create a hostile environment, and it involves a superior. While serving as a U.S. Army medical specialist at Fort Monroe, Virginia, between 1989 and 1992, Santos says she was harassed and raped by three males in her workplace, and though she eventually reported the incident to military authorities, justice was never served. But what I want to do is I want you to understand the depth of this problem. It is a crisis in our military. And right after, we'll be joined by Dr. Kathy Santos. This is Our Common Ground. Thank you very much. I'm Janice Graham for being with us tonight. The military sexual assault crisis. I don't know that scandal is the right word, but certainly a crisis, Lewis. Yes. Military sexual assault cases in 2009 and 2010. This is according to McClatchy. And... A total of 2,039 rape and sexual assault allegations were made. Now, of those... Those are just the ones that are reported. Those are just the ones that are reported, exactly. Forget about the fact that countless of these incidents are never reported because they have to go through the chain of command, which I will talk about, and they never officially are reported because those in the chain of command are sometimes involved in the assaults. 2,039 are reported, okay, allegations are made. All but 551 either receive non-criminal punishment 
or the victim ends up declining to participate in any kind of uh, prosecution or follow-up, and the reasons for that are also disturbing, uh, the commander declines to take action or some other resolution, right? So of the 2,039, which is a small fraction of the ones that take place, 551 actually lead to courts martial. Of those 551 from 2009 to 2010, only 147 actually resulted in rape or other sexual offense convictions. So 114 were convicted of lesser charges, 52 were discharged instead of ever going to trial, about 200 were either acquitted or dismissed, 40 had some other resolution, and 147 out of the 2039 original allegations. Now, we could say, you know, sometimes there are allegations made which either don't meet the spirit or the letter of sexual assault, and it would make sense that not all 2039 lead to convictions for rape or sexual assault, and I would agree with that. However, it is not a 147 for every 2039 ratio. That we can be absolutely sure of. Right, and this is what's happening every year, basically. Um, and if you compare this to uh, the civilian equivalent, the numbers, it, it's estimated that how many, uh, what's the percentage that go unreported when it comes to civilian cases? It's more than half, I think. I mean, so you, you could probably double this number. You could at least probably double it, yeah. realistically speaking. Now, And that is what we are faced with. Dr. Kathy Santos, thank you so very much for joining us on Our Common Ground. It is my pleasure to be here this evening, uh, Mrs. Graham. I am <laughs> You delighted. can call me Tannis. <laughs> you sound like some of these youngins that call up in, up in here. Uh, uh, Dr. Santos, can you turn your computer speaker off because we are getting feedback from it. Okay, one moment. Okay. Good to see India Declare up in the place and L. Michelle Odom, who is the administrator for Our Common Ground Media and Communications in our chat room tonight, and our dear brother, Alpho, who is also with us, and we thank uh, all of our guests who have joined us in the chat room. Is this better, uh, Janice? Yes, um, much better. Thank you. How are you? And thank you again for, for joining us tonight. Tell us from your perspective uh, all of the reports that we have heard, all of what we understand about sexual assault we're going to talk about sexual assault, but we're also going to talk about mental health uh, uh, in the, the black veteran community. But tell us how big this problem is and whether or not in all of the work that you are doing, uh, there is some serious restructuring systemically uh, on this issue. You are absolutely correct. I would like to first just... Uh, uh, share some similarities with uh, what you shared with about your mother. My mother uh -huh. and I are the same, and she's going into her 80th year this year, and that's a blessing. But uh, yes, I, 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 I dread the thought of not being able to talk to her on the phone or, and get some laughs with her. But I was um, listening to you, and I was reminded how uh, close my mom and I were. And I just wanted to acknowledge her during this call in that regard. 
Um, well, thank and you. To I laugh a little bit. Mhm, mhm. I want to be reminded to laugh just a little bit on this critical subject here. Um, I, I, I believe those numbers could be could be accurate. I'm not sure. The it depends on uh, what level of, of the communication is. What what um, who's making those numbers available to what audience at the time? Because I, I've been in several forums. I go to several hearings and. The last year's report, uh, according to the hearings of January 23rd of this year, that was 26,000 reported. Um, the Lackland Air Force Base actually investigated 1,000, and they found 59 of those cases in their particular investigation. So it depends on how that conversation is being uh, delivered. Uh, you will find those numbers varying because they could be talking about all branches, uh, just one branch of the Army or uh, the military, or we have to know exactly what population that they are actually uh, talking about because they're not uh, specific to male, female, uh, post-911, uh, and so forth. So that number could vary depending on uh, what population that they're dealing with. Uh, those numbers are familiar to me, uh, post-911, uh, on active uh, those military who are currently serving, but it's not uh, the number that I use for drawing the, a more uh, a greater analogy on the abuse that uh, is occurring, which was the 26,000 that was reported uh, last year. Mm-hmm. Now, when we talk about sexual assault, we are talking about rape. We are talking about uh, molestation. And help us understand when the military is talking about and is talking about sexual assault. And I'd like to hear your thoughts and perspectives about how black veterans and military service people, women and men, experience this, and to the extent that there is some intersection between race and sexual assault in the military. Let me just give you the legal definition of military sexual trauma uh, according to the Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, It refers to sexual assault or repeated threatening sexual harassment that occurs while someone is serving in the military. It includes any sexual activity where someone is involved against his or her will. He or she may have been pressured into sexual activities, for example, with threats of negative consequences for refusing to be sexually cooperative or with implied fast promotions of better treatment in exchange for sex. And it goes on and on and on. But with regards to uh, African-American women, uh, I'm not sure if there have been any major distinctions or uh, between if there are more African-Americans that are raped than other other uh, ethnicities. However, I do know that the treatment and the response to those rapes uh, vary uh, greatly when the African-American women report their uh, assaults or the harassment. It mm-hmm. is not How given is the same level. It is not, to my, in my belief, in my opinion, and in my experience, it is not given the same level of validity in terms of credibility, uh, it is challenged with regards to the African-American's value and perception of her own offense towards herself. 
in that there was a report uh, back in 2004 by the Veterans Integrated Service Network, which was, uh, I will say that there were no, uh, there was not sufficient diversity to give an all-inclusive uh, report, in my opinion, on culture and how it related to uh, one's own perception of rape and what the, the, the wording was, African-American women were treated differently because of other life circumstances. That was the only sentence with regards to the African-American experience in military sexual assault. I challenged it immediately, and it was removed from the website. It actually was a public statement made by their uh, public relations uh, spokesperson at the VA hospital. So I challenged that because I believe that one's own perception of how she's violated is subjective, and, and I don't think it can necessarily be determined in one sentence. Um, so, so that that is a, still a big discussion, in my opinion, because I, I I don't think that there is a uh, the same level of respect given to the women of color, particularly the African American woman, with regards to sharing her experience and what her perception of that offense is to her. Uh, a, a case in point: the the uh, recent hearings, which have become the I guess the the most credible place for sharing military sexual trauma. There was one African-American female, uh, two Caucasians, and one male who spoke at the Lackland Air Force Base hearings in January. And I, I listened to the, 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 the stories, the experience, the responses from the panel seemed to be less attentive towards the African-American, I, I was there uh, in a capacity to just to observe, but I thought that the there was a different level of uh, response because there was a question, follow-up questions after the other persuasions gave their testimony. I also believe that the panel, Congresswoman Jackie Spears out of California, Sacramento, California, she's been spearheading these uh, discussions, and she's trying to pass a bill called the STOP Act. And in my opinion, I don't think that the same level of uh, exposure has been given to the African-American woman veteran who has been sexually assaulted. And the, this, this is surrounded some activity that has included a uh, lawsuit, a federal lawsuit, and a movie called The Invisible War. And prior to that, there was a pretty, uh, well, uh, a popular movie that was making its way across uh, the, na the nation called the, By the Lioness. That were, there were no African-Americans in the lioness at all, but it's not necessarily about sexual assault, but the, the movie, The Invisible War, is about sexual assault, and I was one of the contributors to that movie. I think I was probably the second one that uh, was interviewed for that particular movie that actually won a, um, uh, a Sundance Festival Award uh, after being nominated, and it was also nominated for the Emmy, but there was five minutes of, of any woman of color or male of color presented in this particular movie, which was disturbing because my uh, particular uh, um, delivery to them was the only one that was documented with the Pentagon 15-6 investigation. I don't think there's anyone in this country that actually has ever had a Pentagon investigation into their uh, claim of sexual assault, which mine was founded. So, you know, we have these different uh, 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 intersections, if you will, for drawing boundaries that makes it very difficult to have transparency in what level the military is trying to resolve this issue, uh, whether it's rape, sexual assault, sexual harassment, 
whatever the issue is, I think that we have to really deal with how they're how they're looking into this as being a valid uh, issue. And with regard to the African American community, what also I'm realizing is once these military women return back to their home of record and seek treatment in the VA hospitals, that's another level of abuse, in my opinion, because there's they're again are not giving that same level of respect in how they share their experience and the response that they should get after reporting a crime, in my opinion. Uh, uh, you use the term molestation, but I don't think that word is a, def- a defined word in the legal uh, uh, definitions from the Department of Defense. That's the word that I've, I've not heard used uh, in this, this particular uh, these discussions, so I'm not sure how you're interjecting that word molestation, but I, I, I would like to continue to refer to, as I am become accustomed to the word sexual harassment or sexual assault, because these are the legal definitions that uh, have been given to this particular uh, uh, behavior by the Department of Defense, and that's where the policy is established using these definitions. I, I have not heard the word molestation used uh, uh in that context, in these uh, particular forms. So, well, you're, well, I, you're the I think... expert here. So, uh, <laughs> I, I was thinking about I was thinking about molestation in the sense that when someone is being touched inappropriately or approached inappropriately, which uh, in a way which is sexual, um, and sometimes we tend to minimize those kinds of things and think of sexual assault as as rape um and 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 I think that this molestation is as dehumanizing and is also treated uh can be seen as another one of these silent crimes. Let me ask you if you don't mind uh about your own experience uh while in the military uh of uh and how the military responded to your complaints of um of rape I, I, let me just share a little bit about uh some many women ladies girls into the military for different reasons economics education uh for different reasons my particular reason I actually wanted to get my law degree I was actually over 30 when I went into the military so my perception and my experience would probably be a little different than someone at 18 or 19. So uh, immediately those uh, type of behaviors, which were unwelcomed, the, the over-friendliness uh, was, was, was really uh, – the, the gentlemen were, were really a nuisance, but the, the climate was already set. Uh, my experience actually began – you have your basic training in the Army. I wasn't enlisted, so you have basic training. You have your AIT for your training. And then you have your you're assigned to your tour of duty. I witnessed this from the very beginning, from the very beginning that I that I got off the bus, the 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 uh, fraternization, the the, over, the 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 super friendly uh, behaviors toward the the young ladies. I mean, the drinking, the partying. That's the climate that was set, and that's the reality that I experienced. So I, I was I was reluctant to. I did not drink. I did not, I was not a partier, and I was very focused on what my agenda was. I really had needed to just do my two years, get my law degree, and move forward. So I began taking notes. Um, I don't know why, I, I, and I, I, I've never 
even tried to figure out why I began taking notes. But I began taking notes right away about my experience. I had a daily journal. So uh, after about six months, um, actually prior to six months, between basic training and AIT, that's about four or five months there. Uh, and so by the time I was assigned to my uh, unit, which is at Fort Monroe, Virginia, there were 17 generals on this particular post. It was quite an elite post. Most uh, people don't get assigned to this post. I was very blessed to get on this particular post. It was quite a resort for these uh, elite uh, military officers, and I actually was a medic. Uh, it was equivalent to a, a paramedic, but it's not a, for this particular environment, it was much more uh, sophisticated. I was uh, in charge of a uh, emergency room, health clinic, uh, not a lot of uh, major uh, uh, activities there, but we did have minor surgeries and so forth. So there was a lot of interaction with the officers and, so, and, 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 and a lot of the uh, personnel from the post. So it was not unpopular for the males to become friendly with that type of environment where you have customer or a client or patient interaction. So I observed it. It was it was the norm. I mean, it didn't matter whether you were was an officer or a non-commissioned officer, uh, a lower ranking. That was just a climate. It was just a very relaxed climate there. So it, it became to the point where I was asked to act out. You know, you go out as a group, you go bowling, and you try to acclimate yourself to the environment by being at least uh, minimal social with the uh, rest of the uh, assigned personnel there. So I, I had these interactions, and it's very uncomfortable, actually, to uh, try to force an environment, but you don't want to be labeled, uh, isolate yourself to get a label right away. So I actually did try to become very uh, sociable. And in these climates where drinking was the norm, there were uh, inappropriate conversations that graduated to uh, some very unwelcome physical activities. And uh, I'm just going to give you one situation. I'm not going to continue to uh, give you a lot of the experience, but I'm going to give you this particular experience. This particular post that I was assigned to was so elite that every Christmas that we would be allowed to have as many hotel rooms in any hotel that we want, and we could invite as many friends, families we want to, to these particular hotels, and the, our post would pay for that. And my, I had a young son at the time. He was about 13, and my NCO, my non-commissioned officer, he had a son the same age, and realizing that, we tried to bring them together to just become familiar and to become more sociable, and, but my NCO took advantage of that. Um, and so uh, one particular evening uh, during one of those Christmas holidays when uh, his son had gone to uh, – my son had gone to his house to visit with his son during the Christmas, he came back to my hotel room, and it was uh, – uh, uh, just a much of a physical uh, a fight and challenge, and and I lost, <laughs> and I actually lost, but uh, that changed my life forever. Uh, that's just one of the experiences because you become very vulnerable during that after those experiences because they they are your superior officer. You have to see them every day, and I think that this person actually thought there was some interest that would evolve, and I, I can tell you. I, I was just so focused, I just had no interest at all in being involved in any type of relationship, and certainly not after those type of instances. But this continued, this particular individual, and then there were two others. And just to give you that particular scenario, I, don't, I would prefer not to talk about the others, but um, the, the climate is set where you're, you're, you're subordinate 
to these very, very powerful individuals who they, they rate your evaluations, they uh, give you orders, and you have to obey or you don't want a bad write-up. I got four promotions the first year that I was uh, actually assigned to this particular post, so that, that was uh, something I could, be, I could pride myself with. But what happened was I did not report these gentlemen. They reported me, actually, because what happened, they, when I, I became somewhat uh, uh, isolated, uh, withdrawn, they were, I guess I was a hard read at the time, and they had compromised themselves in such a way where I guess they figured that uh, uh, they were in a position that they didn't want to be because I did not comply. And neither did I conform in any way to that type of environment because I was mature and I just would just want to give my two years and get my son and myself out of there. So this, uh, these individuals took me to the XO uh, and told them that I had some problems. And uh, by that time, I had uh, three or four or five months of documentation every day. And after I was reported to my XO by these individuals, uh, they, my XO asked me, uh, did I have anything to say? And I told him that I had been documenting and just gave a story. I didn't really have any reason to protect these individuals at that time because it was at a level beyond where I would be willing to take it. And uh, so I was on a very elite post, and my post, we also gave these officers and these senior-ranking uh, individuals their physical fitness tests. We, they depended on us to pass their tests, and that, that went on their records as well. Well, these particular NCOs were failing these officers on their tests, so I became a pawn in that the officers wanted to get back at these guys. So after I gave my, my 13-page written report uh, to them about what is ha- happening to me for the past uh, three or four months that I've been documenting, Things took a really, really very uh, unusual turn. Uh, the, 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 the conversations uh, were excluded me. I became uh, somewhat isolated from both teams, I guess because my story was validated by everything that I had written with times and dates, and I guess everybody was on the spot at that time. So mm-hmm. I became a victim to the retaliation, and the retaliation was worse than the experiences themselves. I was forced to do many things um, that uh, I, I, I don't feel comfortable in talking about in this very short yeah. conversation, but I will tell you I became victim to some very unusual activities at the hands of these people who either want to intimidate me or frighten me or terrorize me into not talking further. And so I did not get a chance to go to my uncle's funeral. I did not get a chance to leave post. And so for a year I felt like I was held hostage on this particular post because I did not have the authority to, to leave. But it became so... Uh, uh, restricting, and, and, and I became so uh, I, I, I I became rebellious to that activity because I had a young yeah. son, and my son was becoming victim to that activity as well. So I decided to get in my car one day and drive to the Pentagon, and I did that. This was about a year and a half into my two-year enlistment at the time. So once I got to the Pentagon and was able to tell my story, everything changed from that point forward, and I felt like I had been freed from uh, that environment where – I was literally uh, terrorized uh, by people that I trusted, and I was close to home. I was right in Virginia, actually, and uh, you'd be surprised how uh, the psychological uh, component actually compounds when you are are, are actually blocked in. I I, I, I compare myself to being in a bubble or a tunnel, and that tunnel began then, and I was in that tunnel for 15 years, and I can share a little bit more about that tunnel experience where the whole psychosis sets in and some of the other psychological components uh-huh. compound the issue of military sexual trauma. 
and it gets to be uh, uh, somewhat difficult for you to exist normally from day to day and do your routine things. And that grows without having any support system, without being guided by all the professionals. You're, you're kind of like left there, isolated, alienated, to work through these issues. And I went through that for 15 years. And the the uh, the, the the sad part about it, my, my son, I was able to the, the one situation, though, I would like to add in this particular part of my conversation is that I, going into work after giving my statement, I, the, the, the immediate response by your NCO and your EXO is to remove one of the uh, from the environment. Because there were several people involved, they were moved, removed me and sent me to my parent hospital, which was about 15 miles away. And so actually when I went to this hospital, I was trying to get to the general who was the chief of staff at the hospital, and it was really uh, very difficult to uh, get someone to understand. That's when I realized this was really a very conspired uh, behaviors by these people to, to stop me from talking. And one particular morning when I had gone to this particular hospital to work, probably about 15 or so days in, it didn't last very long while I was there, but I I, I was there was an ambulance waiting for me. I was put into a straight jacket and taken taken to a Port of Middle Hospital, and I was admitted there. And I stayed there for uh, I guess a little less than two weeks. And uh, what uh, was very interesting, and they offered me a bribe really to try to get me to leave the military with a mental uh, rating of fifty percent of my earnings. And I, I refused it. I rejected it. But in hindsight, now I think I should have taken it. But uh, the, the situation was such, I was dealing with this in such a mature way that they were repeated. I guess they were going back to the drawing board over and over again. I'm dealing with one situation. I'm not dealing with three. So the, the story that I told to the Portsmouth medical professionals, I was seeing several psychiatrists and psychologists. I guess to determine the validity of my, my, uh, of my experience and how I shared it with them. So it, you just tell your story over and over and over again to different a psychiatrist, and they take you to this place and that place, and you're telling your story over and over again. And so they did not uh, support the Army. This is a Navy hospital. So they didn't support the Army's uh, suggestion or recommendation to have me discharged and sent me back to duty. But they sent me back to duty at my request back to the clinic because I did not believe any other environment would be different. And I thought that I could just get my time in and leave, which was uh, uh, to my uh, – this may, I guess, a little bit disturbing that that didn't happen. I did have uh, some some uh, some retaliatory activities toward me. Um, the, the the Pentagon began a 15-6 investigation, and that 15-6 investigation is a uh, where there's a gag order on everybody involved, and there's a major investigation throughout the post on that activity. Uh, I don't know of anyone besides myself that actually had that investigation uh, uh, on a claim of military sexual trauma. So the 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 the, the pay I became the uh, somewhat of a, uh, a recognized person on the post, and uh, nobody wanted to come near me, uh, and it was it was it was no. it was an experience. No. Well, say. thank you for but thank you for uh, sharing what must have been um, a very traumatic and sorrowful and sad um, and hurtful uh, 
humiliating experience. You know, people listening to your story and other stories that we have heard, people who are not in the military, uh, tend uh, to find these uh, wild, and I'm sure there are people in the audience tonight who are saying, my goodness, uh, how can this be in the United States Mm -hmm. military? One of the things that I like to frame this issue and 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 um military sexual trauma is an issue that we have got to put our hands on because our brothers and sisters go into the military with a kind of framing and mindset culturally about power and people who are in positions of power we go into our workplaces with the same kind of mindset and that is put that is a layer that's set on top of the stresses and the trauma of white supremacy that we have to also navigate so one of the things when i listen to you talking and and read things from your website and look at this issue of military sexual trauma I have to begin to think that we, as a people, are much more vulnerable to this kind of uh, behavior. Now, we're going to have to take a break, but when we come back, one of the most notorious stories that most people in the public know is the story of Private Lavinia Johnson. And when we come back, You will get your heads ready to hear that story. We're going to talk with Dr. Kathy Santos, who is the founder of the National Alliance of Women Veterans, who is with us tonight as our guest. We're going to talk with her about that case. You're listening to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. We'll be right back. Tuned into Our Common Ground, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. I'm Janice Grant, giving voice to the black truth of America. Our Common Ground, broadcasting free, bold, and black. Each Saturday, 10 p.m. society is only as strong as all its individuals. The United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, We had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake. 
mistake. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. Check out, check out, but check out and shut up, because if those are your two choices, Barack Obama, President Barack Obama, and this bigot, this racist, then I don't see that there's a big issue there. I don't see that there's anything, any other choice. You either stay home and stay disengaged, but then I don't see how you would have a voice. I don't see how you would be able to complain. I just read off 13 things that this president has given or has added and has done for the black community. I don't know if I'll be able to help. <laughs> for those who say he hasn't, you know, you need to be aware of these things. 914-338-1610. Let me go to 972. Alpha Show, Fridays, 10 p.m., TruthWorks Network, Advanced Urban Progressive Political Talk. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. The Alpha Show, only on TruthWorks Network. Nothing to say, nothing to do, I'm nothing to give, I'm asleep without you. India Declare, real raw and right now join india declare saturdays 11 a.m in her new space it's saturday morning fire if you want your real raw and right now it's saturday morning 11 a.m the i declare show with india declare india declare the i declare show saturdays 11 a.m on blog talk radio India Declare, real, raw, and right now. This is Our Common Ground, broadcasting bold, brave, and black. You'd better know.
And thank you once again for being with us here at Our Common Ground. Tonight we're talking with Dr. Kathy Santos, who is the chairwoman of the Pennsylvania Department of Disabled American Veterans and the founder of the National Alliance of Women Veterans in Philadelphia, PA. Uh, Brother Brock ain't in here today, but uh, he is one of our big fans and listeners from Philadelphia, PA, uh, Kathy, and thank you again for being with us. Before we went to break, and I just really do want to talk to you, uh, thank you for sharing your story. I, I, I wasn't aware of that story until tonight. Um, but we want to talk about people's disbelief about uh, how military uh, sexual trauma is handled. And up until, up until maybe a couple of, um, a couple of um, six or eight months ago, Dr. Da- Santos, you've got to turn your speakers off. I'm getting the feedback. I hear myself on your from your computer. But up until uh, maybe a year ago, people in America really did not take this seriously. But I want you to hear this story, and we're going to talk about it with Dr. Santos. Our number is 347-838-9852. My wife, Linda, and I both worked for the Department of Army. We had five children. Lavina was a very disciplined child. Being the first girl, I think she kind of felt, um, you know, my daddy done took care of us all these years, and now he's got to worry about paying for college for me. I think I'm going to help him out, and I'm going to earn my own money. And she said, I want to go in the Army. She was there six weeks. She called home almost every day. The last conversation that we had with her was the 17th of July. She said, it looks like I'm going to be home for Christmas. Then she said, don't decorate the tree until she came home. At 7.30 in the morning of the 19th of July, our doorbell rang. There's a soldier on our porch. He stepped in our foyer and he said, this morning, Lavina L. Johnson died of self-inflicted wounds. I was just overwhelmed. I fell back on the steps. It was it was just a total shock to me. Linda was she started bellowing so loud. I mean it was it was just a horrible echo that echoed through the house. It was just horrible. I said, wait a minute, are you saying that my daughter committed suicide? And he said her death is being investigated. A casualty liaison came within two days. He said, I was told to tell you to have a closed casket. We wanted to have an open casket. We had the funeral, and my daughter, Lakeisha, walked over to that casket. Next thing I know, I hear her, they murdered my sister. Did you see her face? 
Her face is all beat up. Her nose is all broke. The Army spent 10 months supposedly doing an investigation. I tried to pressure them for a copy of the evidence. And actually, it took a congressional act. When you take the information that the Army didn't want us to have, and you compare that with the criminal investigator's report, they don't match. They didn't find her in her barracks, so the Army lied about that. They found her in the contractor's tent. I called my brother Joseph because Joseph has a degree in criminal science. He said, I'm looking at a dislocated shoulder and a broke neck. So somebody beat her up. He said, it gets worse, man. Somebody shove something up in Lavini. This was a rape. The second autopsy showed part of her vaginal area was surgically removed. I started hyperventilating. I, I could I could barely breathe. You look at the autopsy, you look at the paperwork, they were both designed to substantiate a suicide. The medical examiner said that this was a suicide based on the information he received from the criminal investigators. The criminal investigator's decision that it was a suicide was based on the fact that the medical examiner said it. So they blamed each other. My daughter was third generation. I worked for you for 25 years supporting troops. She gets brutally raped and murdered and you treat us like dirt. This has gone on for six years. I gotta get justice for my baby. And not only that, I found out that they've done it to other families. So my fight is bigger than just Lavina. Iraq are doing Iraq, Iraqi freedom. 
12 United States civilian women have been killed. The reference to uh, those who were raped and have been categorized, their deaths have been categorized as non-combat-related injuries and then added suicides. I, I'm very familiar with Lavina Johnson's story. She was 19 years old. She was 19 years old. And it's horrifying to hear from this man who was her father tells a story about what he heard happened. And in disbelief, because I know he, he, it was, he interprets it with dubious validity, and that is the norm. I think that you can hear truth. For me, when I hear about these young ladies, she's just one of many. I, I have a, I have a script to a story called. Excuse me, I have to refer to that story. But I went to New York. There's a play for this young woman. She was 19, also from Texas. There are many women. Maria Lauderback, her body was burned. This, these are stories that have occurred uh, post-911 and probably before. But it, it, what it means is that there's a culture and a climate of violence against Americans within our military that unless we continue to bring the light to these issues, I believe it will prevail. My, one of the reasons, and I, and I heard it in, 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 in many advocates, that, they, that, that advocate with the passion that, that we do, is we don't want that to happen to other women. I, um, it's been 30 years now, almost 20 years more, almost since that happened to me. And to hear these stories within the last 10, 5 years, even recently, it's, it's, it's bothersome to me because... It seems like these women are unprotected. They're unprotected in a climate where if they don't conform, if they retaliate or try to seek help, there are such uncertainties there that it's scary. The one thing I do know that came from the hearings, uh, both uh, in January and in March, on military sexual trauma, was that they it's almost as though it's out of control and there's nobody that either can do anything about it or it is so embedded and enmeshed in the culture that they they, they can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And that's the scary part. So what it, what it means to me, what, what this means to me is that we have to keep fighting for those who are very innocent. Lavina Johnson, I know she couldn't have had any idea that would be the outcome of our military experience. But the one thing that this article speaks about also is that this doesn't necessarily happen in the military, but during the recruitment process, or even before recruitment, and I'm very familiar with those aggressions before recruitment, the warnings to women should begin above the doors of the military recruiting stations, as that is where assaults on women in the military begins before they are even recruited. Uh, the one now, thing you that I know, about, you you talk about this climate of power and violence. That's that's my summary of it that that exists in the military. And uh, to what extent in our community are we as as people as, as veterans return? To what extent? 
what in your experience and your in and in, in, in your estimation what does this mean in terms of the collective mental health uh of of our community as as these people who have been so traumatized not only the sexual trauma but also the mental health implications of being in a war in the war theater of and 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 not having and, and not kind, having of kind of nurturing that is required to understand the violence that people are witnessing i think that those are issues uh that that we are not talking about and in our community in the black community we're certainly not understanding i mean we came out of the vietnam war with a population of men because of the atrocities and the violence and the inhumaneness of that war theater who couldn't function. So are we facing an, a, 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 another troubling increase of veterans returning to our community with mental health issues that are not being culturally appropriate, uh, appropriately culturally uh, uh, being addressed. I, I think you're you're on the right track uh, with that uh, assertion, but I would like to say that the the it's, 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 it's deeply enmeshed in the military culture and, and government with regards to the transitioning processes. They, 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 they're trying to create a a very transparent uh, uh, transition for, for for military people. That they, you come out of the military, there's a a program called TAPS, the Transition Assistance Program, where they're able to screen you for your uh, any needs or any psychological uh, problems. But but what what is concerning to me, there is a level of of development and programming going into the military. But you don't just go into the military and these things happen. Post 9-1 was what they refer to as a new war. So we did with not a new soldier. Uh, if you talk to World War II veterans, I've, I, I, I've talked to many veterans from many different wars, and you will hear a different feeling about their patriotism and, and, uh, and their compassion for serving in the military. And they, they have some um, parallels and, and some things, they, they differ very much on what their perceptions of their patriotism should be coming out. The training that we that, that we are required to achieve is supposed to prepare us for uh, psychological, physical, social, all those various components that we can walk away from there in one one piece uh, minus the war. I never expected a war would, would, would uh, break out when I joined the military in 1990. Uh, that was a surprise to me, but a war did break out. So I thought about just going there and just have a little fun and and and, and go move on and get my education, but we did up a new war. So the Iraq and when the post nine one one war, the, when they uh, these young folk, they were mostly reservists and National Guard. They were coming out of college. I went down on the uh, 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 Senate floor to hear senators talk about preparation, and what I learned from the senators that were trying to get funding to properly prepare these young soldiers for not only uh, training, they were being deployed 
over and over and over again without having any type of uh, uh, long periods of rest uh, between those deployments. I know some young soldiers were deployed five times in one year. So that all these rep- repeated de- deployments, they weren't properly trained within the short period going from high school, from going uh, from weekend uh, reserve duty, to certainly having a uh, uncertain amount of time that they would have to go clear across to the other side of the world to fight a war. That was the type of pressure that were put on some of these young people. So now you have this new soldier with these different types of wounds. Not only they have the invisible wounds, but many of these families that are seeing their children come home, maimed, uh, a traumatic brain injury is a very serious problem uh, when a lot of times the families are not prepared to deal with these type of uh, uh, um, debilitating conditions. So we're dealing with a new soldier, a new war, and a new time. Uh, the way I understood it, uh, transitioning uh, uh, the conversations, talking to World War II veterans, Vietnam veterans, that many of these veterans that are coming home today from Iraq and Afghanistan are coming home alive, and they are in less uh, functioning. Uh, um, they are less functioning because of their their uh, survival. Most of these uh, conditions that they're coming home with in previous wars, they would not have made it home alive. So you I want have to ask so many of these. Yes. I, I, I want to ask you about uh, the process, that process. You know, recently uh, we were uh, confronted in this country by the mm-hmm. the issue of mental health and and the military experience uh, by Alec- uh, Aaron Alexis, who was the shooter at the Washington, D.C. Navy Yard. Here's a report that was uh, provided by CNN, and I want to ask you some questions about what could have happened or should have happened with this young man. Beyond the serial disciplinary issues that led to his Naval Reserve discharge, friends and family members of gunmen Aaron Alexis, make it clear he was deeply, deeply troubled. We're going to hear shortly about his past behavior. But see, on a national course, but Deborah Farrick has some new information about a disturbing incident that occurred, what, just last month, Deborah? What are you learning? Yeah, it happened about uh, six, six weeks ago. Two key pieces of information that we've been able to develop first. Just over six weeks ago, a naval base in Newport, Rhode Island, was contacted by local police who warned them that one of their contractors, Aaron Alexis, was behaving strangely. Second, at the same time in August, Alexis reached out to a VA facility also in Rhode Island at the very same time. Now, Newport Lieutenant William Fitzgerald tells us that on August 7th, Alexis called police to his hotel. He had actually switched hotels three times. Alexis explained that while traveling from Virginia to Rhode Island, he'd gotten into a verbal altercation with a man during his flight. He believed that the man had sent three people to talk to him, keep him awake, and send vibrations through his body. Alexis told police he had not seen the people, but he believed that there were two men and a woman, and that they were, quote, using a microwave machine to send vibrations through the ceiling, 
penetrating his body so he could not sleep, unquote. And he told police that he never felt anything like this. He felt the individuals would harm him. He would not tell police specifically what these people who allegedly were harassing him were saying. But he did tell police that he had no history of mental illness in his family, that he'd never had a mental episode. Now, Newport police notified the Naval Station at 8.30. That's just about uh, two hours after this incident happened to tell them what had happened and notify them of the possible implications given Alexis's access to the base and that he was working there as a contractor. Newport Naval had no comment. They referred us to the FBI in D.C. FBI also not commenting, but a big question as to whether someone at a Navy base knew that there was a problem with one of their contractors. Yeah, well, it seems like there was blunder after blunder. Well, it does seem like, Kathy, uh, it was uh, blunder after blunder. But one of the things that I'm curious about is whether or not uh, this young man should have gotten a better response uh, from the VA in regard to his treatment and his care. I want to I want to uh compare his case to Charles Dorman. Charles Dorman was the gentleman over in LA who also uh-huh. was killed after uh going on a shooting spray. He had a manifesto about the police and so forth and so on. Um I I, I compared those stories once I heard it and I'm I'm reminded of uh the history of some activities, I don't know how familiar with this, but there, there was a situation in the VA hospital that I witnessed where I saw some male veterans barking like dogs on all fours. And I researched that behavior, and I learned what may have triggered some thoughts in my mind about the research and experiment, some of the research and experiment type of uh, information that I've been gathering over the last couple of years as I endeavor to some of the research activities um, that are related to veterans. And one of the ones that is being talked about recently is a research uh, mind control. Uh, I don't know if this is a little bit too advanced for this audience, but I'm just going to just talk a little bit about just to raise the awareness on the capabilities. I gave a statement back in 2007 that we should – uh, take our heads out of the sand on the 21st century abilities for science and science experiments and research. Research is is something is of great interest to me uh, at this time with the veterans and with the veterans uh, uh, hospitals. Um, and uh, th- this is a very complicated uh, scientific approach to getting some uh, understanding in how things are happening. Uh, from my perspective, but I don't know how most people will receive this information. But I, I researched uh, this uh, particular research uh, act called MK Ultra, and as recent as January uh, 2013, there is some discussion about that uh, with regards to today's uh, experiments on certain institutionalized uh, people. So. I'm not sure exactly what happened or what should have happened with this man, but I'm just hoping that there is not a a more uh, broader. Yeah. Uh, 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 I, I don't want to, I have to be careful with my words here. Uh, I'm just hoping that this is something that we can soon 
investigate and come to some reasonable conclusion. No, I wasn't satisfied with that because I, I, it was just hard for me to believe. I was just at uh, Washington Naval, uh, I guess, last month, and I was asking for my car from the, the Century if they had a room available uh, that I could stay in when I was actually in the D.C. area. And I'm telling you, they were so suspect of me asking the question from my car that I became uncomfortable. So it, it was just almost a little bit uh, unsettling for me to hear that this man had maneuvered to the extent that he had without any apprehension uh, within this uh, military installation. And, and, he was, and he was honorably dis- discharged in 2011. He had been vetted by the contractors and had no history up until this time of mental health issues. Documented. Documented. And, yes, yes, documented. Absolutely. We're going to go to our and phone. I think that's, go ahead. I think that's. I think we should. I think we should use a documented uh, for a reason because. Uh, after 15 years at the Philadelphia VA Hospital that I thought I was being treated uh, for uh, a, a mental health issue related to military sexual trauma, I learned after 15 years there was not one documented piece of information in my records uh, referencing military sexual trauma or my experience after 15 years. So, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly how that factors into what is going on, but I have a problem with the mental health stigmas that are being associated with the military and those who serve, yeah, particularly yeah. the post-911 military uh, veterans. So yeah. this is something that I'm going to continue to uh, uh, research and investigate on my own. And and, 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 other, and, and at the more advanced conversations, I hope that some 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 the the the, the national security uh, and our nation's defense. Um, be um, restricted with the clearances that they hold and what information is made available to the public. But there is a lot of information that uh, when you start to look that uh, those who are able to share will share that we are in a 21st century dynamic where uh, much of the sci-fi movies (laughs) that we watched years ago, uh, this is very capable Right now, yeah. so you look at yeah. getting you get some of this information or these activities into the wrong hands. It could be very sinister uh, in what the outcomes could be. So I'm yeah. just I'm just watching. I'm just watching. Yeah. Our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. We're talking about military sexual trauma and mental health and the invisibility of black pain in the military. Uh, our number is 347-838-9852 if you would like to join this conversation and discussion. Um, I just want to note, if you're calling in, we're talking about military sexual trauma and mental health. We're not talking about how much ginger ale is at Whole Foods. Uh, I want all of our callers to enjoy this discussion. We have an audience. This is not... Uh, uh, a forum for you to talk about you. It is a forum to talk about this topic and inform the discussion. And with that, we're going to go to 954. You're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. Well, Aloha, Augustus. Welcome back into the doctor. 
Uh, Thank first you. of all, before I get into my point, this is Aranda. Before I get into my points, I want to share with this sister that uh, another veteran, and I know I posted this. The uh, VA wants to increase the uh, Social Security, right? And those who served between 1957 to uh, 2001, to be exact, January 57 into December 31st, 2001, they want to increase the uh, Social Security benefits up to uh, $1,200. So all you have to do is go down to Social Security with your DD-214 and put in the paperwork. It goes through the channels of Maryland somewhere. And um, what I want to say is, for the sister and all of us that um, you're not going to get any justice even in the corporate and private sector, let alone the military. And I, as you know, I am a veteran, Vietnam vet, and like you said, I'm not going to talk about me. I'm going to talk about the reality since we have been in this soil, on this country, and served every war. And I was listening to what Dr. Claude Anderson had to say, even back during the Civil War. To this point, None of my children, the strategy has to be different now if we're going to move forward and what to refuse to do. None of my kids will ever serve for this country, ever. My grandkids are young. I, I don't have to worry about that. But none of my children will be going. And anybody that I come in contact at of the age and people say, well, if you're going to do that, what are you going to have an offer to replace that? Listen, I will find them. It ain't about motivation. It's about trying what is, to empower what, people. What, what, what is your uh, rationale behind making this decision? And I don't know uh, to what extent you can influence your adult children about whether they enlist or not. But what, what's your rationale, Arande? The rationale is behind, they see what I've gone through with the VA. My grandfather, who was in World War II, we're the only two that actually fought in combat in my <laughs> generation of us being here. And the rationale is between showing them the history of this country and the lies and the deception of what the military, and obviously it was an employer, obviously, the uh, armed forces. Some of us went through that stage during non-combat times when there was no wars. Why not? Why should you not go and get an education? And we're tired of being cannon fodder in this country. And see, the military mindset, even when I was in, mm-hmm. um, if we wanted you to have a wife or a woman, we would have issued you one. That was their mentality. So I understand. How, how does that affect, how, how is that kind of climate and environment, uh, how does that affect a returning veteran in terms of being able to re-enter, reintegrate with his family or her family? Well, during Nam, the most I've ever heard of, the most, and there were very few, was three tours. And mm-hmm. even back then, cats were strung out on smacks. You know, the, the, you had the, the woman's army car that was nurses over there. They called them Dolly Donuts, basically. And uh, coming back, you know, uh, they actually got you addicted to uh, methadone. It was hard coming back then. Now, you got these people that are doing six, even seven tours, cannon fodder for real. And this mm-hmm. sister obviously, you know, has been, I don't know if she's been in country and fort, and that's beside the point. That's not even important. point is that she went in, noble, 
and uh, obviously wanted to take care of herself and get an education. Why not? Let me 40 acres in a mule, none of that stuff was given. So why not use the military when there is no war? We paid our way in this country. Let me ask you about uh, the, su- the support systems uh, that's in place for veterans around military sexual trauma and mental health. In, in what you know, Aranda, and what you've heard from Dr. Uh, Santos tonight, uh, do you think that any of it is going to change, and do you think that the military will ever have an infrastructure to deal with black people specifically? Because I, I just have to think, Kathy, and, and, and I just continue uh, to to frame this issue in if you already have trauma and you go into the service and get more trauma, whether it be military sexual trauma or military or post-traumatic stress disorder from being in that kind of power um, uh, system. Well, first of all, I was involved with the DTV in New York in 7th Avenue, 252 7th Avenue. I no longer, I stopped being part of that organization. You were involved in what? I was, I was a, a disabled American veteran was part of oh, that I chapter uh-huh. in, in New York. Uh-huh. It was in Manhattan, 252 7th Avenue. And um, it was it was bogus. So I, I said later for it, um, what's happening now, you, you're not going to get anything. There's no way, if you can't even get health care in this country, and they're fighting this man tooth and nails, and we got our pros and cons with that. Point is, the military is not going to do anything. These these kids have been more than abused. Mm-hmm. Six and seven tours of of going in and out to uh, Afghanistan, Bagram, and all this, and for what? So they, you know, if they can sweep you under the rug, and I'm in here in uh, Hawaii right now. And I sent a link to you and everybody else about how this island became mostly a tourist and a military uh, money haven over here. And it is a trip. It mm-hmm. is really a trip All right, over let, here. So, uh, I appreciate your call and your comments. Okay. Let's, uh, I'm going to uh, put you back on mute uh, uh, if you need me to. No, no, no go ahead. I'll, I'll just listen. Okay. And we'll get a response from Dr. Santos on your comments. Thank you very much for your call. Kathy, um, do you get a sense that that Aranda is pretty much representative representative of most veterans? I was in the hearings. I'm going to refer to this hearing where uh, the – the five-star general, uh, General Rice and General Wells. Uh, general Rice is an African American, and General Wells is a Caucasian. These two are probably the highest ranking uh, with their, of the training command in the Air Force. Five-star generals is pretty high. That's high as you can get, as a matter of fact. So I'm watching. It, I'm watching these Congress, uh, particularly Congresswoman Spears, and uh, the Caucasian. Uh, um, uh, uh, victims of military sexual trauma attacked this five-star general 
as though he's somebody off the street about his responsibility of, of being accountable for how they are responding to the military sexual trauma. Now, these two individuals who gave the testimony were, were uh, uh, retired or uh, are no longer in the military. But they're talking to an active-duty five-star general. Now, this particular general had given five hours of testimony on their previous uh, 11-month investigation on these sexual assaults where they fought five cases and, and what they were going to do about their training and that process for trying to resolve those issues in the Air Force. And I, it was just incredible to watch these particular individuals talk to this five-star general, the, the African-American general, as though he was somebody off the street. Yeah. And my, my comments to the newspaper, what, 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 after uh, Tammy Duckworth came into the hearing room, I just want to share this because I'm going to draw an analogy. I was probably the only African-American uh, sitting in the press booth at the time. And uh, in the hearing, and there was a mostly uh, all a Caucasian uh, hearing panel there. These were Congress, Congress, it was a congressional hearing in the House of Representatives. So the press and the, the, the victims were all Caucasian. So I'm listening and I'm watching the dynamics here. So the, immediately when the, 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 after that exchange, somebody came into the hearing room and they abruptly ended those hearings and they start talking about the ban on women in combat. Now, that may not have any uh, reference to you, but for me, it was like, are you kidding? I mean, for me, the dynamics are that if anybody believes that the military doesn't have its power, there are those African-Americans who achieve great things. It has been a wonderful uh, economic and wealth-building um, opportunity for many. I, I, I did well in the military aside from my experience. It was a great opportunity to raise my son, which my son did graduate while I served, and I was able to give him a wonderful environment. But aside from that, that racism, discrimination exists as it does outside. The, the mm -hmm. sad thing is that when you're, the, 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 when you're in the military and you get dishonorably discharged because someone has a problem with your ethnicity or your race, and they have the control to write you off not only for the military, but they can give you a dishonorable discharge, and you're done. You know, that's the power that they have. So yeah. there is a yeah. certain uh, submission that, and, and recognizing that we must have, that the power uh, to be, it still exists in the military. Well, it, and, and it, I, certainly, yes. it certainly points out that in our community we we have got to do something about ensuring the empowerment of our children as they make choices about going into the military and that uh, we have strong black people going into the military. Otherwise, they get destroyed. Oh, yeah, they, they will get destroyed. But I, I no, think that no. the option for me, uh, is, and, and uh, some alternatives for me, they have a strong sensitivity courses that, that they're giving now. They have uh, uh, the recruit the recruiters are required to uh, take sensitivity training on ethnicity, culture, uh, military sexual assault. These are all required training now. So I got a chance to speak to someone who actually is a part of the recruitment process while I was at Howard last week giving my presentation. And uh, the Air Force, which is a separate entity, it has its own policy and legislative processes as opposed to the other branches. So the Air Force has become somewhat as the poster 
board a poster uh, a branch for what the reflection of the military should look like when it has the proper training to help bring down some of these numbers on some of the disadvantages uh, or unfortunate situations for the military. And I was pleased to hear from an African-American woman who has, she's in the reserve, she's getting her medical degree at the expense of the military, which is a great opportunity because once you get that degree, uh, advanced degree medical, whether it's illegal or become a lawyer, you can use that on the outside. It is a wonderful opportunity when you are prepared psychologically to deal with some of those things that do occur. But I also think there's a certain behavior. The one thing that they don't deal with, and I continue to talk to the to news reporters about, the fight against many advocates is that they don't believe that their behavior of uh, being drunk, uh, swinging from chandeliers, uh, 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 behaving inappropriately as a young lady, uh, is should be considered in how your cases are adjudicated or determined. But in my belief is that they're saying that rapists are rapists regardless of a person can walk down the street naked, and if a person rapes them, then he's a rapist and so forth. But I think there's a certain responsibility to uh, us as soldiers because we do have certain protocols that we are taught during our training on behavior and how we should respect our yeah. uniform and the fact that we serve 24 hours a day. So there are a lot of distinctions that I believe needs to become more transparent on the recruitment side because we do have a certain level of standard for how we should behave as military in our uniform and, and, and being proud of that. Uh, in serving to our country, that's a patriotic, uh, it's a patriotic climate that is set on the other side of all this negativity. Somehow when you step outside of those boundaries, things happen. So yeah. I'm just yeah. saying you have to beware of all these, uh, uh, the good and the bad and the indifferent, but there's a preparation that you should also uh, seek to be yourself informed. You know, I mean, everything is not taught common sense, how you raise background, and all of those things are relevant to how you enter into and what your mindset is. But when those military women uh, are swinging from chandeliers, they're getting their first paycheck and they're away from home, I just think that there's a certain behavior that, I mean, you hear stories from women who have, who have been assaulted who, wake up in somebody's bed, they don't know how they got there, but they were drunk, they were drinking from the bar, and I think that there was a certain uh, uh, precaution that we should assume as women and as, as potential victims. So, you know, it's, it, 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 you know, it's much like real life. This is real life. The military yeah, is no place yeah. to be going to look for a playground, and this is real life. So we yeah. should look at it as real life and be mature about those decisions and be informed about that decision uh, as we enter into um uh, how we want to uh, 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 respond to our military call, how we respond to the serious, you know, it depends on, on, on a lot of different factors, you know what I mean? But I think that this, with all of that we're hearing publicly now about what's going on, that it is no secret that the military has its culture and it has situations that you need to be prepared for. And, uh, and it doesn't, these things does not happen to everybody. So we need, mm-hmm. to, we need to really look into how we can prevent that in our own lives. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Ka- uh, Kathy Santos, we certainly thank you for joining us tonight to talk about. I think that this issue has to be has to be blown wide open in the context of of our community because I, I look at the Lavinia um, uh, Lavinia uh, Johnson case. I look at the Aaron Alexis case. I look at the Charles Dormer case. And all of it leads us to believe that there is a stress fact 
fracture that has to be kind of natural for black people as they serve our country, as they go into a war theater, as they return and struggle for reentry and reintegration. And we thank you for your work and for joining us here tonight and hope that we can have you back to talk more about this issue. It's my honor. Thank you. Thank you. Would you like to stay with the broadcast? Because I can uh, put you on mute. You can put me on mute, but I absolutely am going to listen to all of this because I think it's important to how I begin to uh, change my perspective on things. This, the, the awareness is important. I've been educated well, also. Thank you. So. thank you so much. And um, we want to thank all of you out there who are listening in tonight. This is Our Common Ground, and we're here each Saturday, 10 p.m. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Hey, John Boner, can you come here and hold my gum? Alpha and I will be right back. Stay tuned. Significance of risk is that it came out I think two years before Ronald Reagan um, became president of the United States. And so one of the things that Wilson was really identifying is that a, a, a new black middle class had emerged. They had the educational know-how. They had the penetrative the corporate structure. They had jobs. And so they were in a much different position than led to the black poor or the black underclass. So the argument was that the real issue confronting the society, you know, was not race but class, and what you really needed was to create programs that would, in fact, be beneficial to this black um, lumping proletariat or the black underclass. But I think he, he had sort of was too far out in front in not recognizing that we were on the verge of deindustrialization. Um, of globalization, which would have an enormous impact on inner cities and inequalities of wealth and the outsourcing of jobs, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it, it is a fascinating work, but I think the works that came after called When Work Disappears and the Truly Disadvantaged were, um, were, were really also you know, incredibly important works looking at where the society was during the 1970s and 80s. Well, let me say this. You know, that's Manning's title, or whether that's a title that an editor, you know, at the book company came up with after reading the text. But but it very well could have been uh, his title because that's his thesis. That's what he's arguing, you see. Uh, But sometimes, like in the case of... um, of, of of William J. Wilson with his with his uh, a book uh, 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 the um, the uh, the declining significance of race um, that wasn't his title and if he and I forget what his original title was but left to his own devices he might have chosen a different title nevertheless that was his argument 
Yes, it was. You, you understand what I'm saying? But the title turned a lot of people off. Commentaries on the Times Radio. Playbill Benjamin and Dr. Basil Wilson. Coming back October 2013, Mondays, 10 p.m. at TruthWorks Network.
lives, issues, concerns, keeping a black eye on the events of the day. We recommend your attention to these matters. This is Our Common Ground. Watch list. Talk that matters. I'm Janice Graham. And we want to keep your eye on what's happening in the United States Congress tonight. I just got uh, coming through um, a um, rapid response from the White House, and the Republicans are on the House floor right now about to force through their plan to hold the whole government hostage over what they call Obamacare. The White House has already threatened to veto their plan, and the plan is they're voting to shut down the government. Uh, You need to keep your eye on the Republicans in Congress who had the opportunity to pass a routine, simple, continuing resolution that keeps the government running for a few weeks. But instead, they have decided they would rather make an ideological point by demanding the sabotage of the health care plan. Um, and that is happening as we speak. Uh, the White House is expected, as I said, to um, veto uh, whatever comes out. Um, UN resolution on Syria, you need to keep your eye on that. Um, the Obama administration leaves the UN General Assembly this week with progress on two fronts of the Syrian conflict, a binding deal to seize chemical weapons and revive talk of a peace summit. Keep your eye on it because it can fall apart at any minute and uh, really can do da- do damage uh, with a Congress that seems to want to um, make a, a mess of this country. We also want to uh, take your eye, your black eye, to George Zimmerman's wife doubting his innocence, to Cokie Roberts, who um, has made a statement this week that is just ludicrous and uh, very uh, surprising and when she said that a non-black president would defuse the angry racist Tea Party. Um, she is... A, a National Public Radio senior news analyst, and she claims that President Obama's sinking poll numbers are partially due to racism within the Tea Party. But she also said something that I, I think that most mature uh, news people would not say, and she said uh, that her comment was rather that she gained support from an, an, another guest, which was the Bloomberg columnist Al Hunt, that having a non-black president on the ticket would diffuse it to some degree. Okay, Cokie Roberts, you have shown your colors. We also want to bring bring your attention to that and 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 uh, that Evelyn Lowry a pioneer in civil rights and women's empowerment, and the wife of the Reverend Joseph Lowry died on Thursday at her home in Georgia. Um, And we certainly are thinking of uh, Reverend Lowry 
uh, tonight as he loses his partner of more than 50 years. Um, We also want to um, do an update that the North Carolina Board of Education, which moved to ban Raph Allison's classic novel, Invisible Man, from school libraries after being ridiculed by residents and undercut by a giveaway of the book at a local bookstore, has now retracted uh, that effort and that's gone away. And that also includes the Ohio uh, Board of Education wanting to ban The Bluest Eye, which is a classic by Toni Morrison, and they went away with that as well. Um, Did you hear about Mitt Romney revealing that he uh, has an adopted black grandson and the name of the grandson is Kieran, Kieran, Kieran James Romney, uh, adopted by his daughter and her husband. And uh, the name, interestingly enough, Kieran, means little dark one in Gaelic. All right, Mr. Romney, you just can't, you just keep them coming, just keep them coming. So, uh, folks, that is our um, our our news uh, for tonight, um, our watch list. We think you ought to watch it. We think we, you all also ought to watch how extremely skillful the president has been in dealing with Iran. Greetings and Hotep. We want to remind you about our Common Grounds presence in all forms of social media. As well, you can tune in to us on TuneIn.com. We have two news magazines, Scribbling Race on Common Ground and Our Common Ground Onibus. Join us, like us, subscribe to us, and you can also always find information about this programming at our website, ourcommonground-talk.ning.com, which is our community forum, gives you an opportunity to post your thoughts, your, to set up a blog, and to uh, enjoy and respond to others who enjoy this programming. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you on social media. This is our common ground. Yeah, we said it. We do it. We rock the mic. Saturdays, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, transforming truth to power. One broadcast. Talk that matters. Alternative avenues. So, how you like it now? And we want to thank.
thank you for being with us. Our, our, we have two new features on the on the program now. One is our watch list where we go back and look at some things that you might have missed in the news. Uh, the other is that our deep, deeper consciousness session that we are going to be always ending our show with. Uh, and we want to thank you for being with us. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. We thank Dr. Kathy Santos for joining us, opening up our eyes and our minds to the issue of military sexual trauma and mental health in our veteran and service um, persons um, community. And you need to think about these things and pass them on. We hope to see you next Saturday where we'll have open mic. And don't forget, on Wednesday, 10 p.m., Solar Fire with Dr. Matthew V. Johnson at TruthWorks Network. And Friday, 10 p.m., he'll be drilling down again. Alpha on the Alpha Show. And Commentaries on the Time will be returning in October with Dr. Basil Wilson and Placel Benjamin. The bad boys are coming back. I'm Janice Graham. Thank you so much for being with us. Pausing at our common ground for a moment of deeper consciousness. At our common ground. Freeing our black mind and opening our black eyes. I'm going to come back to this in a minute because the economic situation of African people in the world today is alarming and will soon get worse. Oh yeah, there's some of you out there can point to a few Negroes who've made it up. You know, a part of fantasy is to believe in fairy tales. And one of the standard endings of fairy tales is, and they live happily ever after. <laughs> so that is this great fantasy, a part of the assimilationist fantasy that says, you know, once we integrate with white folks, and once we go to school with them, and once we break down the barriers to employment and all this other kind of stuff, we will live happily ever after. And yet, you know, history did not justify this belief at all. As I said on many occasions, people progress in history, but they also what? Regress. All of this happens in history. People may integrate in history, but they also do what? Disintegrate in history as well. Black Americans believe in the American idea of progress, that things must necessarily get better than they were before. Who told you that lie? There is no law in the universe that promises any individual or any people that things necessarily get better than they were before. We've seen nations and peoples and civilizations do what? Rise, mature, and what? Fall. We've seen literally races and ethnic groups disappear.
thank you for being with us tonight at Our Common Ground. We hope that you'll join us each Saturday night, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves. To contact us, email us at ocginfo at ourcommonground.com and visit our website, ourcommonground.com. Join us on Facebook and Twitter at JaniceOCG, and I'll be listening for you. We are living in a nation faced with the possibility of war on multiple mental and physical levels. We got black wars against the police. We still got crack wars in the streets. Unemployment at its peak. Overcrowded cells in present-day hell. Wars of Jews against Muslims over whether a created state is real. Wars over Western with Saddam. American politicians arguing over the difference between smart and dirty bombs instead of smart children in dirty schools. I feel like it's me against the world and I'm starting to get ill without even thinking of Kim Jong. Though North Korea does have the world turning up on its axis right now. With these signs of the time in mind, I wake up every day asking myself one question. And it takes me no less than 24 agonizing hours to answer. Am I going to die today? I said, am I going to die today? I don't even bother watching my back anymore because I might get killed from the side today. Or maybe they get me in nuclear with bombs dropping from the sky today. Or maybe some religious fanatic is going to blow my behind up in a train station after deciding he wants to get closer to paradise today. Hell, I got to wonder if some insane and depressed pilot whose wife just cheated on him and ran away with the kids is going to fly today. Right into the 13th floor of my building where I just called my wife to tell her I got to rise and pay. Or am I going to get hit on some DWB while driving on I-95 today? Or maybe some crooked cop's going to decide that some no-good nigga's mom's got to cry today? All this while wondering if Bush is going to play chess of our lives today? Why today? Instead of thinking about all that today, I think I'm just going to lose myself in the movement. The moment I own it, because it might be time to go. It only takes one shot for cops to release my soul. Because our community stopped by filthy 5 so. So I decided that I'm going to fight today. Because there's always just enough time left to be right today. See, I got kids looking up to me to take a stand against wars of Korea, Iraq, and Afghanistan today. So I got to fight for the world to be safe for we. And this is also personal because I don't want my child to see my face next to the definition of complacency. I'm going to fight this BS system with all of my might today. Because it's true that tomorrow will never die, but I might today. In a world where too many visionaries have become so hopeless that they're losing their sight today. And so many pedophiles and perverted priests out there that I got to worry about whether my sons and daughters are going to stay tight today. While Bush gives the rich tax cuts and the poor act cuts on educational spending, my students are depending on me to do what's right today. Looking down at the end of the tunnel, I woke up seeing the light today. Because get this, nations may blow up entire other nations out of fright today. And though I got my cell phone on, I may not have enough time to call my mom to say goodbye today. Y'all may say I'm paranoid today, but inhaling historical truths has got me high today. So now I'm looking for heroines and heroes to help me stop our plight today. I'm even wondering if all the secondhand smoke finally gave me cancer today. So I called 911 for emergency assistance, but Bin Laden answered today. See, I just walked around thinking something's gonna get me. And I wonder why the hell you never found it if you're coming with me. So you just got to forgive me because I'm just recounting some of the signs of the times that we live in. Because if ignorance is bliss, I know some of y'all forgot the hell we done been in. Got me wondering if God's really gonna be forgiven for all of our sinning. Like killing each other in the name of religion. I don't know about y'all, but I'm gonna fight and never give in. So if I die before I lay my head to sleep today, I just pray to God my soul to keep today. <laughs> 